0: An epidemic of burnout among healthcare professionals is affecting quality, safety, and system performance. To help reverse the trend, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement is proud to invite you to Finding and Creating Joy in Work, a 12-week virtual training full of new thinking, resources, strategies, frameworks, and solutions that will help your workforce truly thrive and not just survive. We'll share proven methods to create a positive work environment that fosters camaraderie, meaning, choice, and equity and ensures the commitment to delivering high quality care, even in stressful times. You learn to engage with key leadership behaviors that raise staff satisfaction and discuss join work using a what matters to you framework. It's clear that leaders and care teams find it challenging moving from burnout to join work, but we're here to help. Finding and creating join work starts on September 11th, and you can find out more by visiting ichiorg slash join work or reaching out to us at info Now here's WIHI.
1: Improving health care and the health of populations has become a high priority in many countries. In the U.S., this involves a major reset for both health systems in mission with community engagement, clinical practice, and priorities. These health systems are just beginning to appreciate what they can do to reduce racial disparities, influence social determinants of health, and develop new types of community collaborations. Now, there don't appear to be any shortcuts or a single roadmap, but we can tell you about four possible pathways to population health on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And we come to you live, and then you can find us after the show on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and IHI's Director of Communications. Pathways to Population Health... I do not use that uh, phrase lightly. It is the name of an initiative. It's the name of a new website chock full of helpful resources, and it's become an organizing framework to help any health system better craft a population health strategy. Joining us by phone from Cleveland, Ohio, I want to introduce Christina Lundquist, who is currently serving as Vice President for Operations at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital and McDonald Women's Hospital. That's all part of the University Hospital's health system in Cleveland, Ohio. Christina is responsible for the overall management and strategic leadership of the day-to-day operations throughout the hospitals. Welcome, Christina.
2: Thank you
1: very much. I'm glad you're Thank here. Thank you very much. <laughs> Fantastic. Also by phone, we've got Saranya Lair on the uh, with us. She is the head of the North America region at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, where current regional efforts include accelerating the volume to value transformation in healthcare, attending to the joy of the healthcare workforce, and nurturing cross sector partnerships that achieve health equity. Welcome, Saranya.
0: Thanks, Madge. Happy to be here.
1: And here in the studio with me, right across from me, is Laura Council. She is the Senior Medical Director for Primary Care at Cambridge Health Alliance and a practicing family physician. Cambridge Health Alliance is headquartered in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, Laura was previously the Senior Vice President of the Primary Care Service Line at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Welcome, Laura to be with you. All right. Saranya's going to kick us off. And Saranya, like a lot of improvement work, integrating population health into an organization strategy is an iterative process. I think I can save that word with constant learning along the way. But part of what's going on here is that there can be more of a logic to pursuing population health, especially choosing maybe some of your initial steps. So thanks for telling us what pathways to population health has come up with. Welcome again.
0: Thanks so much, Madge. Uh, I'll start with a little bit of, of background. Several years ago, a group of us came together as part of the 100 Million Healthier Lives campaign, which, as the name suggests, obviously, aims to help 100 million people live healthier lives by 2020. We called ourselves the Health System Transformation Hub, and we were all either healthcare organizations ourselves or we were organizations that support them as they were working to operationalize their work in population health. What we realized pretty quickly in what you described um, earlier, Madge, is that there are increasing levels of support, commitment, and engagement amongst healthcare leaders to not only improve the health of their patients, but to think about how to improve the health of populations and communities. And yet the path to do that remain far from clear And there are several stumbling blocks that immediately came to light. Things like lack of common definitions, a paucity of information on promising practices, an abundance actually of tools and resources that healthcare organizations were needing to to navigate and sift through, challenges with respect to data and financing and creating these cross-sector collaborations. So it was a bit of a wake-up call for us because Many of these healthcare organizations also also said to us you know we work with a, we work with many of you you're all saying slightly different things you're giving us slightly different advice you're all producing slightly different tools and resources and so we realized we had a really important opportunity and in fact an obligation to collaborate with one another and at that time a couple of years ago we uh, were very fortunate to receive some generous seed funding from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And so, five um, members of that hub, the HRET, IHI, the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement, the Public Health Institute, and Stakeholder Health uh, came together to create Pathways to Population Health, and we have three primary goals. The first is is to really answer that call and that provocation from those healthcare organizations to develop a clearer and more cohesive understanding of what it means for healthcare organizations to be on the journey to population health. The second is to help healthcare organizations understand where they are on that journey in relation to where they wanna be. And the third is to create systems of support for those organizations to share with and learn from one another. The framework document, the Pathways to Population Health Framework is really in service of that first aim, which is to develop that clearer and more cohesive understanding about what it means. And importantly, I wanna point out that while five organizations received seed funding to, to accelerate this work, this is work that is years, if not decades in the making and is the product of insights, experience, expertise of hundreds of individuals. Some of whom you're going to hear from today, some of whom are probably listening to the WIHI now, who spent decades working with healthcare organizations uh, to improve health for individuals and communities. The framework, which you can, um, I know it's already in the chat, you can download um, for free, has a, a bunch of different components. There's uh, information about the key mindset shifts that need to occur for healthcare organizations to embark on this journey. We provide some common definitions uh, to improve fluency in the field, some factors that are either going to accelerate or inhibit your progress. Um, but I'm gonna focus uh, right now on the, the portfolios of population health, that second component of the framework. These are what we call four interconnected areas of work that could comprise a healthcare organization's population health improvement strategy. The portfolios represent really two major opportunities for healthcare organizations to improve health equity and well-being. And go back to the previous slide for just a moment. The first is in the realm of things that are considered more population management. These are efforts to improve health and well-being for what we call defined populations. These are populations that healthcare organizations feel directly responsible for. These might be uh, a patient panel, their own employees, or a population for whom they've taken on financial risk. And the second opportunity for health care organizations is to improve outcomes for place based populations. These are, one, these are individuals that live in a geographically defined area. So then we further sub, subdivided those into the areas of improvement where the, the areas of focus where improvement is likely to happen. The first portfolio is where healthcare organizations are probably most familiar and most comfortable. And that is proactively addressing physical and mental health of people within that defined population. So these can be things like managing diabetes outcomes for a primary care panel, or working on behavioral health integration, those types of things. The second portfolio is Proactively addressing the social and/or spiritual drivers of health, and this involves healthcare organizations both implementing reliable screening processes, as well as working in partnership with community organizations, so that once that um, once that referral and that trigger is is needed, there's a way to connect them with the right resources in the community that can follow up. The third portfolio, community health and well-being. this invites healthcare organizations to think uh, beyond the walls of their four organizations and beyond who they are solely accountable for or feel directly responsible for, to think about how they might help support improvement of specific health outcomes for a place-based population. So that might be, What are the efforts under, are there already efforts underway or efforts we could help be a part of convening to address food insecurity in certain zip codes or asthma rates in certain areas? The final portfolio invites healthcare organizations to think about their role in the community. And this work draws heavily from the Democracy Collaborative. It invites us to think about how healthcare organizations who make make up more than a sixth of the economy, how do we better leverage our roles as innovators, as purchasers, as employers, to engage in these sorts of partnerships that can bring about long-term, lasting, meaningful change for an entire community? So those are the four portfolios of work. They are interconnected and related to one another. Um, I know in a moment you'll hear from from two terrific organizations about their work in this area. I'll, I'll wrap up just by noting that IHI shared this framework officially a little over a month ago at our annual summit. And we've been really pleased by the feedback that we've received to date, which has really been twofold. The first is a feeling of a sense of relief from healthcare organizations. Um, it's the, that struggle to understand the role, their role in population health and also the resistance that you often hear from healthcare organizations or leaders who say, well, now is it my sole responsibility to address food insecurity or inequity or obesity in my organ, in my community? And the framework helps them see that no, it is not the sole responsibility of healthcare. Yet healthcare has different roles that they can play at different stages. So how can the healthcare organization more strategically and effectively leverage all the assets that it has to bear? And the second piece of feedback that we, that we tend to get is a sense of hope. Because as organizations begin to map out the existing work they have in each of those four portfolios, they find you know, in a, in a terrific way that they've done a lot of work and they currently have work underway in each of those areas but it might be siloed or disconnected from one another. So it affords an opportunity for that organization to have a larger conversation about what their ultimate population health improvement strategy is, how existing efforts could be better integrated, and what additional assets they could tap into both within and beyond their four walls to achieve their ultimate aim. So let me stop there, Madge.
1: I'll turn it back to you. Okay. Saranya, thank you so much. That couldn't be clearer and so helpful in terms of um, the framing. And we'll have to bottle that um, <laughs> introduction because I really think it helps set, set us up so nicely. Um, we'll hear from Saranya again uh, throughout the hour. Uh, I'm going to turn now to Laura Council from the Cambridge Health Alliance. And uh, Laura's going to uh, start to kind of unpack the first two portfolios, uh, and then Christina uh, will look at three and four. And uh, as you'll see, uh, there aren't necessarily firewalls between all of these things, uh, but there is a a more primary focus, and that gives us an opportunity to see what work looks like uh, in each one. So, uh, Laura, welcome again, and uh, thanks for your comments.
3: Thank you. So. I'll start by telling you about Cambridge Health Alliance. We're an academic community health system um, serving approximately 115,000 primary care patients, Cambridge, Somerville, Malden, Everett, Revere, just towns north of Boston. We are a health safety net system. We have a large proportion of patients um, in the new MassHealth ACO model. And we have a long history of um, being dedicated as a system to improving community health and population health. And tailoring the care to the individual preferences of our patients. Now, I personally have uh, been Senior Medical Director for Primary Care for only the past nine months, so I'm very, very privileged today to share with you the work of many dedicated colleagues and teams from all over the CHA system who've been evolving this work in population health for over a decade. And really, we consider it maybe even several decades since the mission was to promote community health, which really became the foundation of what we're calling population health. So at CHA, uh, the population health focus means that we have the ability to use our data about the individual health metrics of populations or subpopulations to target um, uh, individuals. And then we feel like the improvement of the health of communities is the mission of the entire organization, everyone who works there, and primary care uh, is the convener of that population health delivery. So... Starting with Portfolio 1, our our strategy um, around Portfolio 1 really relies on using data mined from our electronic records uh, to determine how we're performing on our unified quality metric goals. Uh, These goals are created, um, we evaluate the expectations of our multiple different payers and the needs of our multiple communities, and then determine what improvements uh, are needed and achievable within metrics. Then. in the form of reports and and care gaps around individual patients, we use that data to inform the work of the primary care team members who outreach to the patient. So outreach is done in our system both by the centralized resources and the primary care site-based teams um, working off of specific provider panels. Um, InReach is our term for addressing uh, care gaps during a person's uh, in-office visit. And then between the system-level data and the site-based care team, we have a performance improvement structure that we use um, population health data to inform uh, localized workflows improvements at the clinic sites. So each member of our whole extended care team has a role in addressing uh, the screening, preventive, chronic care health needs of the population. That's part of our inreach at each visit and part of our outreach between visits. So you know, we feel like the work of population health becomes the day-to-day task uh, in primary care. So because we already had that workflow established for addressing the physical health screenings um, and interventions, we were able to then introduce mental health care into that same framework. So we have a screening form that we use with every patient at least annually. That screening addresses anxiety, depression, substance use, Positive screening leads to further assessment with standardized tools, and that uh, in turn guides appropriately directing the behavioral health resources or referrals. And, you know, we're now five years into that um, in the integration of the tools and the associated health behavioral health resources, um, as well as uh, using tracking uh, registries for all of those tools. And it all just seems like a normal part of primary care. So... What we're embarking on next is taking that framework, using the same workflow processes, and addressing the needs in portfolio too. So in our case, uh, we've had an absolutely fantastic team. They've developed uh, and piloted a social determinants of health screening. And then much um, analogous to the behavioral health, then there's a brief intervention and a referral. Um, And that interdisciplinary team of people came from around the CHA organization Uh, to design and develop and test the screening tool that we're calling Connect. Um, And now we're moving from piloting that uh, to spread. So it's two parts of the tool. The Connect C is a one-time screening tool. And this tool evaluates um, factors contributing to the patient complexity and uh, looks at their need for community-level resources, especially around caregiving. The other tool, Connect S, is a yearly questionnaire that very much like our behavioral health screen, um, it's part of the uh, start-of-the-visit workflow conducted by the medical assistant, and it asks questions around housing, food, and money. So again, analogous to our Portfolio One work, you know, when the social determinants of health screening is positive, we then have the tools to make a referral or a recommendation um, to the appropriate resource. So a new learning for us is that we, as a, a healthcare system, really need to be able to effectively partner with these non-healthcare agencies and our local communities to address the patient needs. And a challenge for us is that unlike standard workflows for referrals within the healthcare system or standard work in the healthcare system, there's a unique local ecosystem of community resources, and that varies from town to town. So our referrals and our partnerships have to be customized um, for each of our clinics. And overall, I would say that you know our, our learning so far is that the portfolio one work um, really signaled the need to go beyond just the in-person office visit and beyond that traditional provider-patient dyad and expand out to the team. We're finding the work of portfolio two really signals for us the need to go beyond the healthcare system itself and traditional medical model approaches to population health. And we have some challenges. Um, they, that includes reliably delivering the best practice for every patient every time. Um, it includes making sure that everybody in our whole organization understands that that is part of their job, is to deliver that level of population health. And then we also need to develop and support the skills of each team member uh, to be able to partner with patients and families and communities to make that difference. And I think most challenging of all, um, we need to do the subgroup analyses to see that we are making those improvements, um, with equity across all of our, um, subpopulations.
1: What would you say are some of the subpopulations, uh, that you're wanting to make sure are included?
3: Yeah. So, um, besides just the geographic communities, uh, we want to look at across different, uh, payers, um, racial, ethnic, uh, groups as well. Um, and, uh, And patients with different um, social situations, are we making sure that our severely mentally ill patients still um, are allowed to have the same access to care for preventive screenings as everybody else, for example? Okay, great.
1: I want to just go back to one slide where we included, whoops, where is it? It says something about uh, Portfolio 2. And on that slide... If you can find that one, John, which is for everybody. There we go. Revere, in a recent screen, you've got 50% of patients are food insecure. We didn't know until we asked. And can you uh, just speak to that a little bit? What happened there?
3: Yeah, this was a finding from our pilot team um, who partnered with Revere uh, Clinic site. And everybody, um, because they work with these patients and have developed close relationships with the patients and families, figured that there was some level of food insecurity in the community. But we had no idea that it was every other patient that we were seeing in the clinic. Um, and we wouldn't have known that unless we had done that screening and asked. And it uh, it took some training to make sure that every member of the team felt comfortable asking about something that sometimes seems very personal, and not all of our patients see how that might influence the reason for that visit today. Um, but they were able to to do that. And I think these results then um, led to a further partnership with Project Bread um, uh, and uh, the ability to get food bank food into, um, into the clinic delivery site.
1: Okay. Very good.
3: Okay. Thank you very much. And I hope, uh, thank you, Laura.
1: Um, as always, we run through a lot of uh, pretty involved stuff kind of quickly here. Uh, I hope you will take the time to review the slides again. Uh, if you didn't get to uh, ahead of time and uh, and even now uh, during the hour, please think of some questions or comments you'd like to make based on what you're seeing and hearing. Um, all right. I want to now turn to Christina. Uh, and, uh, I'm sure as you're listening, I'm sure a lot of things kind of, uh, resonate, but tell us about, we're going to go to Cleveland or the Cleveland area now. And, uh, How uh, the university hospitals have come to be deeply into portfolios three and four. And that includes being, you know, in some sense, migrating uh, even more into the community in terms of uh, affecting uh, change um, and with population health at that level. Thanks, Christina.
2: Great. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Matt. Um, so in terms of um, you know our plan uh, here at University Hospitals, um, we really find ourselves in a community where we can't afford not to move forward on this work. Um, as I'll talk about in the next few slides, Cleveland has some of the poorest health indicators in the United States, uh, whether it's infant mortality, maternal morbidity, lead poisoning, or exposure to violence. Uh, the numbers here are dismal and addressing these public health issues in our community is really a fundamental part of our mission. Um, Just to set a bit of context um, for our organization, um, again, we're located in Northeast Ohio in Cleveland. I represent Rainbow Babies and Children's and McDonald's Women's Hospital. So Rainbow is about 244 beds. um, McDonald's a little over 100. Um, We're part of a 12-hospital system of university hospitals. Um, Our flagship hospital is the Cleveland Medical Center, and that is one of the primary teaching affiliates for Case Western Reserve School of Medicine. Uh, Rainbow is the regional trauma center, and our accountable care organization for Rainbow was one of the first in the country. We have over 150 primary care pediatricians in northeast Ohio. Um, In terms of Cleveland itself, um, lots of poverty. Uh, More than one in two children uh, in this city live in poverty. Um, 36% of the children in Cleveland are exposed to two or more adverse childhood experiences. Um, we have high rates of infant mortality. Uh, a recent March of Dimes report on preterm births um, gave the county that we're uh, located in, which is Cuyahoga County, a grade of F, which is the, the worst grade you can get in that um, report. And Cleveland itself, unfortunately, has the worst rate of infant mortality among Uh, the top 100 cities in the United States. Um, Significant disparities um, between African-American individuals, particularly infant mortality rates, being six times higher than non-Hispanic whites. Um, The area that we're in is called the Greater University Circle. The 10 ZIPs, just right around our um, organization, um, have, again, high rates of unemployment um, and very low uh, incomes. So in um, in about 2005, um, our organization became one of the founding members of this organization, a larger um, citywide organization called the Greater, Greater University Circle Initiative. And this was coordinated by the Cleveland Foundation, um, and it involved some of our partner um, neighboring organizations such as the Cleveland Museum of Art and Case Western Reserve University as well as the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we Basically, we're partnering with them um, and convening as anchor institutions to talk about how we can leverage our own economic power um, to build more inclusive wealth and healthy neighborhoods within um, this greater university circle area. So it was a a local buying um, program to funnel our money into local businesses um, and to kind of create this um, idea of living local, hiring local, and buying local. And uh, in uh, in terms of university circle and uh, university hospitals, rather in terms of how we address this, in um, Vision 2010, it was a strategy that um, was part of a, a five-year strategic growth plan. Um, we had about 1.2 billion dollars that we planned uh, to invest in the construction of over five new major medical facilities, um, as well as the expansion of a number of existing facilities, such as our. Uh, NICU here at Rainbow. Um, But we deliberately set goals for female and minority um, owned businesses for contracts. Um, We used our spend to therefore create about 5,200 jobs and over $500 million in salaries um, during this period of intense construction and so forth. Um, We achieved all of our targets. Um, We managed to use about 92% of the procurement was through local and regional um, partnerships. So uh, one of the examples is this um, organization called Evergreen Cooperatives. Um, It uh, is a green, the green city grocers is a pesticide free hydroponic greenhouse. Uh, It produces millions of uh, heads of lettuce and thousands of pounds of um, herbs and provides the the produce to, local uh, restaurants, institutions, and schools. Um, It was ranked actually as the largest uh, food production greenhouse in a core urban area in the United States. Um, But this was something, again, that this uh, cooperative that we joined with our partners in the Northeast Ohio area um, got off the ground, and it's, um, it's been very successful. Um, we've also continued to conduct community needs assessments um, within our organization, as I'm sure many of you do as well. Um, some of the things that have come up um, in our recent um, assessment about two years ago were a need to develop more trust um, between the community and our organization um, to provide um, more mental and behavioral health access, um, dental, et cetera. Um, this particular needs assessment, we had focused on our um primary care sites for uh, pediatrics and OBGYN um, because we knew that um, we had an opportunity to move our clinics out of the hospital itself into the community. So we were very deliberate in in also partnering with the community to understand what their their needs were. Um, Just as we've been thinking more holistically about our mission um, to include our operations and hiring investments, we've been thinking uh, holistically about our role in enhancing Uh, our overall patient's well-being in terms of the evolution of that care. So, again, moving from this episodic um, model of care to one of total health care, from traditional health care to a community-integrated anchor institution. So if you can forward a slide, let's go even to the next one. So the next phase really in this for us is um, the uh, construction of a new building that we're calling the Rainbow Center for Women and Children. Um, we've put this um, right in the neighborhood where our pa- patients uh, are living. Um, it's in a federally designated medical dental underserved area, uh, about two miles from our main campus. And we envision this as, as being not only highly accessible, um, but also providing a lot of wraparound services um, in response to what we've heard from our community. So maternal fetal medicine will be there. We'll have a pharmacy on site, uh, optometry services, um, and social needs navigation, among the others that you can see listed here. So we will open for patients uh, on July the 9th. Um, This building is also um, constructed uh, with LEAD elements um, in terms of environmental um, friendliness and so forth, and we're hoping to achieve LEED gold certification. Um, we're also fortunate because we live in a city with a, a long history of philanthropy. Um, we've received tremendous uh, funding from uh, individuals and foundations and corporations, um, such that uh, almost 100% of this project, um, along with new market tax credits, has been uh, used, uh, has been funded by philanthropy. So uh, it's allowed us to invest more in more innovative pilots to try various approaches to improving health outcomes. Um, One of the uh, elements of um, this organization that we've developed is is a community advisory board. Um, So we've convened over 47 patients, grassroots community members, and community leaders, um, and really engaged them to um, convene diverse stakeholders to stimulate um, new partnerships, hopefully strengthen our capacity to address uh, social and environmental determinants of health, and uh, collaborate further to provide specific input on the programming for the new center. So we have um, individuals from the local schools, from community organizations, from the criminal justice system, um, faith-based organizations, and so forth. Um, Just in terms of examples of some of the collaborative programs that we already have underway um, in the area of health and nutrition, uh, the Healthy Harvest Program, where we give out fresh um, fruits and vegetables throughout the year, and we're partnering with one of our local uh, supermarkets who actually is building a, a new facility about a block and a half from the new Rainbow Center. Um, they agreed to put a teaching kitchen in this new supermarket and uh, conduct some um, educational programs for our patients and community members in terms of uh, how, to, how to cook more healthy foods and so forth. Um, Birthing Beautiful Communities is another wonderful organization locally. They um, provide community doulas And um, we're continuing to work with them to to hopefully improve the health of our mothers. And then lastly, in the area of employment, um, we have a number of partnerships um, locally on developing uh, more uh, individuals ready for work, workforce training, um, and we've also engaged with our uh, colleagues in the transit authority um, to provide more bus stops um, to make this center uh, even more accessible. So a lot of work work going on, um, certainly a lot um, more to do, but um happy to answer any questions
1: later in the program. Thank you so much, Christina. And uh I'm sure there uh, folks are starting to tee up some questions in the chat and um <clears throat> uh we welcome uh your thoughts and observations. Again, we kind of uh made a slight, you know, one-two with the portfolio is one and two. Maybe John will go back to this uh nice uh image from the Pathways uh, for Population Health um, sort of uh, way of depicting um, the four portfolios. Um, So one and two with CHA and three and four. And I think these are really rich illustrations. Um, I want to just give Sarnia, who uh, both knows the work and is listening to it, a new um, just a, a minute or two to comment on anything you heard that you might want to underscore or bring out to make sure people uh, took in with all this information. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Madge. And you just, you have just highlighted it actually, which is the level of interconnectedness uh, amongst these portfolios. So, one of the things that struck me um, from both what Laura and Christina said is how much this work was anchored in their mission. This, the work of improving the health of communities, not just patients or individuals, but of communities, was so deeply embedded in their mission and actually creating the right structures, processes, and cultures to achieve that, um, I, I think really, really came out. One of the things, uh, or, or two things that I was struck by in particular um, that, that Laura highlighted, one is the aspect of ensuring that the right people on the right team uh, the right people were doing the right work in terms of the team, um, because population health isn't just the isn't just the responsibility of one individual or one department, as she notes. It's it's the work of the entire organization and understanding the different roles um, that people play and how they interact with one another to achieve those goals. I think Laura highlighted really nicely. The other thing um, that I think both Laura and uh, Christina highlighted was. Sort of a building block. So as Laura described, starting with a reliable screening to understand what some of the physical health needs may be, building on that to then understand, well, what, what are some of the, the mental health drivers? And then using that to then go the next step and say, well, what are some of the social drivers or social needs that our patients may be having? And um, and then really connecting with the different resources and leveraging the different assets that they had, both within their system and then outside of their system, um, to address those. So the 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 uh, one thing I really wanted to mention about um, about the terrific work um, that Christina mentioned is importantly that much of it um, sort of initially was coordinated by the Cleveland Foundation. So I just think it's important. Um, to remember, many times healthcare organizations will say, well, how are we going to do that? And how could we take that on? And, and, um, and take sole responsibility. And as you know, or as I think Christina noted, it wasn't the sole responsibility of, of, you know, rainbow babies and university hospitals. It was, it was their partnership and their understanding of the contributions that they could make um like live hire local live local work local like as an investor deciding where to put the new um, university hospitals rainbow center for women and children those were the contributions that they could uniquely make and these were the results that they that they achieved so um, just a couple of of initial reflections based on the terrific work that's already underway. Thanks, Madge.
1: Yes, and thank you. Uh, I think that's really helpful. That pulls out uh, just that much more. Okay, we are clearly in chat time, and uh, thank you for the questions and comments so far. Just remember to send them to all participants so we can all see them. I'm going to turn to Laura Uh, and see if I can string together a couple of questions that I think were directed more to the Cambridge Health Alliance. First of all, somebody wondered whether the social determinants assessment was uh, done kind of through kind of office visits in clinic, in the clinic Mm -hmm. environment, uh, or... Or And or is it in any way combined with other kind of data that might be available, say, through health departments? uh, And, of course, in in Cambridge with the Cambridge Health Alliance, that's all very integrated as well. Mm -hmm. Go ahead.
3: So we're just getting started with the portfolio to work in part um, because the mass health reform um, in the Medicaid ACO helps us uh, have a financial model that supports it. Um, right now, we are embedding the social determinant screening on top of our current clinic workflows. And again, I think that illustrates that we build off of our experience um, with quality metrics and behavioral health, and we're putting the social determinant screening. Um, in, into that same in-clinic workflows. I can certainly imagine a future where using technology um, a- and uh, like asynchronous messaging, um, as well as combining with data from the public health departments or from the towns themselves, that we uh, screen all households um, and then divide that information up among the health systems and agencies in the region.
1: Okay, so that's maybe more to come. Um, okay, that's a good one. All right, let me just add on this one other, which is about culture, which we both were looking at. And somebody, uh, this is Gail, wondering, uh, even even, uh, an amazing safety net system like the Cambridge Health Alliance, where uh, all providers are pretty mission-driven. Uh, This person is wondering about, um, I don't know, the inclination, willingness. Is there a culture issue still, though, for providers, particularly doctors, to be talking with patients about food insecurity, for example? Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, you know, as a primary care leader, I want to make sure that all of the providers in my system are doing provider-level work. And so I think that this question really has two parts uh, to it. One is, what is uh, the role of the provider in social determinants health screening and addressing it? I think that... Any, any physician, uh, any provider in primary care who deals with the complex lives of our patients understands the myriad of reasons why somebody becomes complex and that most of those reasons don't have to do with their physical health. I think that we all have experience that You know, the person with the A1C level that's not coming down, it's not because the provider doesn't know what to do with the diabetes care. It's because there's other complexities. And so I think uh, that is a real motivation for providers to really start partnering with patients around what the patient's goals are, and often that will be a way into looking at social determinants. But the second part of the question really um, focuses on that this is a team and organizational effort. you know, the, the patient isn't just in our clinic anymore to meet with the doctor. They're there to meet with their healthcare team. And, you know, even when that patient is outside of our clinic, they have a whole healthcare team and a whole healthcare organization um, focused on, on their needs. And so the providers um, in our organization slowly over time are recognizing the value of their team members in providing those needed services that they alone can't do. And because they have a team, it um, is a way of moving out of burnout and extending um, the work to many different people in the organization.
1: Who primarily um, conducts the screening, uh, works uh, with the patient uh, on, on a visit, say, yep. with some of those screening tools?
3: Um, our medical assistants um, are extremely competent in terms of uh, being able to do the in-reach around quality metrics, uh, making sure that the behavioral health screenings get done, and now, um, at least annually, uh, administering the social determinants of health screening. And that takes investment and training and dedication of that workforce as well.
1: Okay, great. All right. I at least hit, I think, about three (laughs) questions. Uh, I want to uh, ask you, Christina, uh, there are a couple questions related to ensuring community engagement in what you're doing, uh, kind of link-ups at all with patient advocacy organizations, uh, kind of how, to, how one sustains uh, the sense of, you. of course, you pointed to the community advisory board uh, and a lot of linkages. Uh, have there been any challenges in that way uh, to really th- those relationships? Uh, hopefully, they're, uh, they've been um, groomed over time, but also they don't also happen overnight. And I wonder if there are any uh, challenges you're working on there.
2: Um, You know, we've the biggest challenge lately, honestly, has been we've had more interest in people joining the community advisory board than we have room for, which is, uh, you know, a a great problem to have. Um, But it also speaks to, I think, the fact that we're we're delivering on this partnership. Um, We aren't really just um, having a one way communication. We're listening. We're being responsive and uh, everything, for example, in this new Rainbow Center uh was done very thoughtfully in terms of the design and the programs in partnership with um, this community advisory board and, and others so um, the artwork um, the layout um, the specific programs and and whatnot um, we've really um, engaged the group and been fortunate that they have been very honest and um, and given good feedback and uh, and we're excited to uh, to continue the work as we uh, as we open the center in a couple of weeks.
1: So, uh, no particular challenges that that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, there are a couple of questions about measurement and uh, kind of what you're measuring, um, sort of knowing in what way or how you know you'll. Uh, both having, you know, whichever part of uh, the portfolio you're working on, or all two, or all three, or all four simultaneously, what you're looking at uh, t- over time to see what kind of impact you're having, and maybe Saranya, um, I'll bring you in here as well in just a minute in terms of what resources are are thinking is uh, on the pathways to population health resources that might be helpful here in the measurement. But, Laura, why don't I start with you in terms of yep. uh, some of the measurement?
3: So it reminds me very much of how we started out with um, quality metrics a decade ago. So right now, our, we're just seeing if we're screening, right? So the, the measurement we're tracking is, you know, did you screen or did you not? Um, and and it's just, it, that's just the basics. And then hopefully we'll move from there to, you know, if you did screen, was the intervention done and how how often was the intervention done? And then be able to move from there to tracking outcomes. But as far as social determinants, we're pretty far away. Luckily, we do have a wonderful community health group. The community health group conducts community listening sessions, and we hear from our town's Um, and the needs assessment, some of the stuff that they are finding as well. So it does occur to me that there's probably a data stream that exists outside of the healthcare system that tells us about outcomes, um, but we haven't found a good way of incorporating it, you know, in our dashboards inside the healthcare system.
1: Okay. Thank you.
3: Christina, maybe same question to you. Sure. So um,
2: we've actually been doing uh, the screening now for about two years um, at Rainbow and McDonald in both these primary care clinics that I've referenced that are moving to the new Rainbow Center. So we've um, had very high rates of positive screening. Um, But about nine months ago, we also took the next stage and did a more comprehensive survey of our patients and uh, caregivers. Uh, Over 350 patients Um, were surveyed um, around their uh, levels of uh, unmet social needs and their uh, corresponding levels of stress around those unmet needs. Um, And we were able to identify that um, over 60% of the caregivers in the pediatric practice and 100% of the patients in the women's side uh, identified concerns or shortcomings um, regarding at least one community-based need. So um, we've... We're tracking, um, obviously, how well we do in the future around connecting our patients with those needs. Um, We also did a corresponding survey of our providers and asked how well-equipped they feel in terms of being able to address and connect patients um, to other programs uh, and services in the community. And we'll we'll continue to track those metrics um, along with uh, a variety of others that we've set forth in a framework. Um, so we've really got a kind of a stand up document that um, that we're using both to respond to the to the funders that ha- are providing um, funding for these programs um, as well as our own leaders internally to demonstrate um, you know what programs are working and, and what areas of opportunity
1: we still have. Thank you very much. Um, Saranya, do you want to, can you add anything kind of from um, your knowledge of, of this work across organizations and what pathways uh, to population health may have to offer uh, in terms of measurement ideas?
0: Thanks, Madge. You know, it's. I, I think that Laura and Christina have, have nicely highlighted how unique it is for each organization and depending on where they are in the journey. One of the things that we would encourage with Pathways to Population Health is it's an opportunity to understand what is your comprehensive population health strategy? And then how do the current initiatives and potential future initiatives that you're considering have a line of sight towards that ultimate aim? And then, of course, there would be a cascading set of measures around. There's process measures and outcome measures, as Laura was describing. I think it also dovetails nicely to some of the comments in the chat around um, engaging stakeholders within your organization as well as stakeholders outside of your organization to really co-create what those what those out, high-level outcomes should be that are meaningful to the community and thinking about the set of measures um, that would allow you to understand whether or not you're reaching those goals. And an important piece that's related to the measures is also around data and being able to share data within an organization and across organizations and also access that organ that access that data that helps us identify, for example, where, you know, where are communities thriving and where might be their areas where the community isn't thriving and healthcare may have one piece of that. Um, The healthcare organization might have a piece of that, whereas other stakeholders within the community um, will have different pieces of that data that together provide a much more complete um, picture. And I'll just put one thing in the chat, which is the 100 million healthier lives measure what matters uh, platform, which some organizations have used um, as a way to think about the right measures for what they're trying to achieve and, and helps them track it as well. Um, So I will put that in the chat now.
1: Okay. Thank you very much. And uh, somebody uh, has also put in uh, an IHI white paper uh, on measuring the triple aim. And there's some other resources also on IHI.org and on Pathways to Population Health. And thanks for mentioning all the good stuff at 100 Million Healthier Lives as well. Um, I want to just – one other, uh, you know, sequel to that question uh, was or is whether, you know, in the same way you might refer someone to a specialist and everyone's talking about closing loops and seeing what happened – uh, as as a goal these days. Uh, what about referrals out for different kinds of support services that people may need and knowing whether folks acted upon them or not and to what effect? And maybe I'll ask Christina that uh, maybe a little bit further along in that journey. Uh, is that something that you're looking at or have the capacity to look at right now?
2: Um, we are and we do, um, so we have a system wherein after we um, either provide a, a referral to a patient or help connect them, uh, we follow up within a period of 14 to 30 days um, to assess whether they were, or they were able to make that connection or not. Um, we had a, a case recently where um, a woman had uh, immigrated here from um, a small country in Africa, didn't really know anybody, and was pregnant. Um, needed to have access for um, commodities, um, some diapers and uh, cribs and things like that. So we were able to connect her with the resource for that, followed up um, a few weeks later, um, found out that she'd gotten almost everything she needed, but she um, was unable to get the transportation to one of the sites. And um, we were able to, to hook her up with the appropriate transportation and uh, ensure that she was able to get um, everything that she needed for her, for her new baby. Um, So we are tracking that. Um, We've also just uh, uh, implemented a new uh, software system where we're going to be able to text message um, patients and um, hopefully get more real-time feedback um, from them if they need assistance or just to confirm that they were able to receive the
1: services um, that they were looking for. Thank you. Um, one more question before we maybe go around the horn and, uh, just get some wrap-up remarks from everyone, and I know, Saren, you wants to make sure you kind of know about some things that you can do following on today's, uh, program. Uh, there is an implicit sense that, uh, this work, uh, you mentioned, of course, Laura, training, um, many people are asking, are you using healthcare navigators? Do you use health- population health specialists, coaches? Is there a lot, not that everyone can afford all the staffing probably, but is there a lot of additional staffing needed uh, to start to make these things really work smoothly? Start with Laura.
3: So I would say probably yes and no. So um, we have complex care managers uh, who have uh, evolved out of some of our population health work. But in addition, we have patient uh, resource specialists. And these people understand the local um, community ecosystem of resources that, you know, varies within just a few miles um, and that they are able to help connect patients. And that seems to be new work um, that hadn't been done in the healthcare system before. Um, I, I think it really raises the question of when we start to bring the social and spiritual dimensions of care um, in into health care, is that the best use of people's resources? or might we have better luck if we understand the people in our communities who are already doing those things and bring those people in in a way that that links rather than paying? for the resources ourselves. Uh, At least at CHA, we don't have that answer yet, but we're we're exploring it.
1: It's a good question. Interesting. Uh, Christina, your thoughts on that in terms of a lot of new roles, new staffing, that kind of thing?
2: Uh, Yes. In our experience, we have found that it it does take some additional staff. Um, As I mentioned earlier, um, we've been fortunate to receive a couple of grants um from local and national organizations to support some of this work whether it's the um screening for social determinants um or some of the other pilot programs that we're we're trying out so um it is not without um a need for additional resources but i think the good news is that there are organizations out there that realize the importance of it uh, hopefully in your communities um you know you can demonstrate by your own um, you know, health indicators um, where the needs are and uh, and generate some interest um, from the philanthropic uh, bodies
1: there. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Well, let's uh, do a quick around the horn, uh, just some wrap-up remarks. It's an ongoing uh, body of work for sure, and we certainly hope to uh, return to it on WIHI and a lot of other ways at IHI as well. All right. I think, Saranya, I'm going to have you go forth, uh, go first, actually. Uh, You know, family's always always supposed to go last. But um, (laughs) in this case, I want you to go first before uh, we lose more people on the line, because I want you to tell people about uh, some steps they can take in order to engage. Okay.
0: Thank you so much, Madge, I will be quick. Um, I have been so thrilled by the conversations and the dialogue that's been happening in the chat. And I wanted to say that one of the, we've been so pleased by the reaction that we've received to date around this work and an eagerness for organizations to get more deeply involved in understanding how to use the framework um, to make advancements in their own organizations. So we are offering a series of free, webinars um the first one wave one starts july uh, nope not july june 13th starts next week if you can go to the next slide um, there's a link where you can um there's a link that will tell you how you can sign up we've had over 200 people sign up so far um, this wave will be seven call series that will go over um the the high level overview of pathways to population health and then we'll talk about each of the key areas share some bright spots some tools and resources and importantly it's an opportunity to continue the type of dialogue that we've had today and for you to be able to share with and learn from one another so check out the pathways to population health website and if you'd like to join a cohort of change agents across the country who are doing this work and sharing and learning, um, feel free to sign up for IHI's free um, Pathways to Population Health wave that begins June 13th. Thank you, Man. All
1: right. Thank you so much, Sarah, uh, for all your hard work, for being part of uh, today's WI Chai, and for the work of you and your team, and Rebecca and everyone uh, helping to assemble all this. Uh, the sign up, by the way, that URL is actually now in the chat, uh, so <laughs> don't have to wait a second. You can go ahead, go right ahead to that link, Christina. Uh, it, it's been an interesting journey to Cleveland and all that you're working on, virtually speaking, uh, from our perspective. Uh, any. Any kind of final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Please go ahead.
2: Uh, no, thank you. It's um, it's been an honor to to share our work, and we look forward to continuing to um, to dialogue about it and uh, hopefully um, really address some of these um, significant issues in our community and and around the country. So.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. Well, thank you. And good luck with the opening of the health center, which uh, is an interesting model unto itself and maybe something we might uh, zoom in on. Um, there've been some other programs we've done not too long ago that have talked have ended up coalescing in a new kind of health center that's sort of bringing uh, some of those social determinants and uh, physical and mental and other issues together Laura um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> go um, ahead uh, any any final ideas or thinking just,
3: I think that this this um, the visual of the framework has been really helpful in um, sparking the correct conversations within my organization um, and between organizations. And uh, the balancing factor of equity between both the healthcare system and our communities, I think, is central. And I'm going to keep carrying that forward.
1: All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming in to the studio. I want to thank our panelists and I want to thank our guests and audience and thank you for contributing a lot of different ideas, questions and comments in the chat. Uh, Don't forget that all the material is available to you when you sign off uh, on the program today. You can also find it on the website IHI.org tomorrow and you can always find audio of the program, a podcast, not only on our website but also on iTunes. Next up on WIHI Hi. We're going to have an interesting program on June 21st. Speaking of complex care, we're going to talk about in what ways addiction treatment can become more integrated uh, into, um, I don't know if it's correct to say routine healthcare, but the uh, healthcare system instead of um, more often than not being referred out uh, to other uh, uh, networks. So uh, we'll... uh, have that up on our website shortly, and I hope you'll be interested in that as well. Uh, I want to also mention that you can subscribe uh, to Institute for Healthcare Improvement on iTunes, and that way uh, you'll always be reminded of the shows when they come down the line. Any questions whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Uh, they'll be happy to answer your questions. Great group help make WIHI possible. They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vic Minden, Joanna Carmona, and Val Weber. And I want to give a big shout out to Rebecca Goldberg, works with Sarnia and the team for all her help with the show. As always, it's my privilege to host this program that continues to be about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. I should say improving population health and patient care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Have a good day, everyone.